Well, as we continue our worship this morning in the Word, let's go take a moment to bow in prayer. Uh, Father, we're grateful this morning to worship you in song, to worship you in giving, and also worship you in the waters of baptism as we've gotten to hear the testimonies of faith in you. We thank you, Lord, for how you work in our hearts and our lives, and we're grateful for Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Father, as we continue our worship this morning, we pray that you would prepare us, that you would get us out of the way. What we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and who we are not in Christ, we ask that you'd make us, and we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Uh, Back in 2011, David Jeremiah wrote a book entitled, um, I Never Thought I'd See the Day. In that book, he concluded, I never thought I'd see the day when marriage would be obsolete, when morality would be in a downfall, when the church would become irrelevant in society. Having written that book, a few years later, he concluded that he may have written it a bit prematurely because the changes that had shocked him back then would become increasingly more Um, terrible, appalling in the years ahead. And he basically concluded over this past decade since he wrote that book that morality is no longer in a downfall. Morality in America has hit rock bottom. And when we take a look at our culture and the society around us as believers and Christians, it shouldn't surprise us. After all, we're told in Scripture that we're living in the last days. We're living in the time period between the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ, and the days that we live in are described by the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 3 as days when men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And this morning, knowing that we are living in the last days, knowing that we are closer to the second coming of Jesus and the day of the Lord now than ever in history, I want to take some time to continue to talk to us about how we are invited to prepare for the day of the Lord. I'd like to invite you to 2 Peter 3. We're going to be in verses 8 to 13 together. As you make your way there in your Bibles, the entire chapter is about the day of the Lord, the coming of Jesus Christ. In the first seven verses, we were together last time, we talked about the day of the Lord and how to prepare for it by means of expecting it. Well, as we continue in our text in verses 18, 8 to 13, we're going to talk about the day of the Lord and preparing for it by means of knowing the details that surround it. This morning, we're going to ask, ask and answer three questions concerning the day of the Lord. The first question is, why hasn't the day of the Lord yet come? Uh, the second question has to do th- with the details that surround the day of the Lord. What does the future hold concerning the day of the Lord? And then thirdly, we're going to answer the question, what difference should the coming day of the Lord make in your life and in mine? And so as we answer those questions together, in light of the word of God, would you stand in honor of the reading of it? Second Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8 reads this way as we consider how to prepare for the day of the Lord. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that, the, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we... According to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The word of the Lord, you all may be seated 
in the presence of God this morning. As we walk through our text together, we're going to consider how are we invited to continue to prepare for the day of the Lord and the coming of Christ, knowing that we are closer to the day of the Lord now than ever in history. How do we prepare for the day of the Lord? The first thing we're going to see is by means of forgetting not God's perspective on time. Forgetting not God's perspective on time. Peter begins in verse 8 by answering the first question we've already laid out. Why hasn't the day of the Lord yet come? Why hasn't the second coming of Jesus Christ come to pass yet? And what we're going to see in verse 8 is because God sees time differently than we do. God, who is outside of time, his perspective of time is different than our own. And the manner in which Peter gives this instruction to forget not God's perspective on time is by means first of connecting verse 8 to the previous seven verses where we were last time. First word you see is but, and it connects us to the context of the first seven verses. And there we were reminded that uh, about the day of the Lord and the fact that there will be scoffers in the last days. And while scoffers will deny the day of the Lord and the second coming of Christ, the Holy Scriptures in verses 1 to 2 told us that Scriptures guarantee it. From the time of the prophets all the way to the days of the apostles, God has foretold that Jesus Christ is coming back. The first time he came as a suffering servant, as the savior of the world. The second time he's coming as a conquering king, as the judge of the world. And so we need to be ready and we need to be prepared. And so while scoffers will deny it, will laugh at it, scriptures, they guarantee it. And that's the hope that we have. And so in light of that, in light of the fact that scoffers will come or perhaps your own doubt in your mind will bring to your mind the question, where is the promise of the day of the Lord? Why has it not yet come to pass? And what we are told in our text is, beloved, we're invited to see time from God's perspective. And so first, he he connects it to the previous seven verses. But secondly, I don't want to overlook that. He calls them once again, beloved. He called them beloved in verse 1. Once again, he calls them beloved here in verse 8. And the reason he calls them beloved is the same reason God writes through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to you and I as the readers this morning is because we need to be reminded again and again that in Christ we are loved. In Christ we are beloved by God through our faith in Jesus as our Savior and Lord and we are beloved as brothers and sisters in Christ by one another. And Peter tells his readers, you are beloved by God and you are beloved by me and the fellow brethren. And God wants us to know that we are so beloved that he gives us answers to the questions that may be on our minds regarding the day of the Lord. So that if ever you wonder, where is the day of the Lord and why hasn't Christ yet come back, that you would have the answer that God's perspective of time is different than ours, and that would encourage our faith and would strengthen us in our walk with the Lord. As the beloved of God who are loved by God, God gives us an answer to give to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who go through hard times and difficulties, who wonder, God, why do you allow the righteous to suffer and why do the wicked seem to continue on and do go about their thing? And we're reminded that we have an opportunity to encourage them of the hope that they have in Jesus that while scoffers may laugh at it, the scriptures guarantee it. But not only that, as the beloved of God, we have, a, 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 we have an opportunity to give a reason to unbelievers for the hope that we have. As 1 Peter 3.5 invites us to do, that when people ask, where is the promise of the day of the Lord? You can say, you can scoff all you want. Certainly, scoffers are evidence that we are living in the last days, but the scriptures guarantee that Jesus is coming back again in judgment. He came as a suffering servant to save the world the first time. He's coming a second time as the judge of the world. And so you and I need to be ready. We need to be prepared. He calls them beloved. And then thirdly, he says, first of all, this is what you need to know when it comes to those who scoff or those who question. Do not forget this one thing. This is the first thing you need to know. This is important. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and as a, thou- and a thousand years is as one day. Now, before we talk about what it means to see time from God's perspective, let me first tell you what this is not saying. 
This text is not saying that when it comes to interpreting prophecy or the literal days of creation that we should interpret it by saying, okay, one day is equal to a thousand. And so the six days of creation really took place in 6,000 years. Notice here, this is a comparison. This is an analogy. It's not literal. It says that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And so what we are invited to do is see time from God's perspective. And the manner in which we see time from God's perspective is understanding that Peter is actually, actually quoting Psalm 90. And there we read in Psalm 90 um, about how we're invited to consider the eternal nature of God in comparison to the brief life of man Psalm 90, verses 3 to 4 says, You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are, are like yesterday when it is past and like a watch in the night. In that psalm, which is attributed to Moses, it goes on to describe man like the grass of the fields. We're here for a moment and then we disappear and we are no more. And what we're invited to do is be reminded of the eternal nature of God and consider man's frailty and fragility and the shortness of our life in light of the eternal God we worship and we serve. And so this is a reminder for every one of us. When it comes to time, we are invited to see it from God's perspective. God doesn't see time like we do. When it comes to 2,000 years that have passed since Jesus had promised to come back again, and in this day there are scoffers, how much more 2,000 years later we are encouraged and reminded that we continue to have the promise of his coming. And so a, a day is like a thousand, a thousand is as a day. In another scripture, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, it reminds us, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I want to take a moment and invite us to, to behold our God. And the manner in which we are invited to behold him is in the fact that he is eternal. God is outside of time. God is the creator. In Genesis 1.1, it said, in the beginning, God. It reminds us that God is eternal and God is infinite while we are temporal and we are finite. And because of that, we see time differently than God does. And so the reason why the Lord has not yet come, the reason the Lord has not yet fulfilled his promise is first because God's perspective on time is different than ours. As we continue to read, not only that, in a moment in verse 9, we're going to see the reason the Lord hasn't yet come is uh, also in verse 9 as we continue to read, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This morning, we're invited to prepare for the day of the Lord, not just by, uh, by forgetting not that, that, that forgetting not God's perspective on time, but secondly, forgetting not God's heart for the lost. Verse 9 really captures God's heart for the lost. And the reason the Lord Jesus hasn't come back is not because he is lagging. is not because he is slack, but because he is long-suffering, because the Lord Jesus is patient. The text says, the Lord is not slack. He is not lagging concerning his promise. Now, if you take a look at the promise concerning the second coming of Christ and you read throughout scripture about it, you will learn from the time of the prophets all the way to the apostles that for every prophecy that foretells the first coming of Jesus Christ, there are eight prophecies that foretell the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so this is a helpful reminder that we need to pay attention to the promises of God. But the reason the Lord hasn't come back yet and the reason it seems to be delayed is because God's perspective on time is different, but also because God is patient, God is long-suffering. And the text goes on to say, um, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
This morning, I'd like to suggest that that captures the very heart of God towards the lost. God desires that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. When it says not willing there, it's talking about the desired will of God versus the decreed will of God. Thomas Schreiner puts it this way, God genuinely desires in one sense that all be saved, even if he has not ultimately decreed that all will be saved. And so we're invited to this morning to consider the, the heart of God. And God's heart is one in which his heart is grieved for the lost. I want to read you scriptures throughout God's word that remind us of God's heart for the lost. If you go back to the Old Testament book of Jonah, we're reminded the reason Jonah fled to Tarshish instead of going to Nineveh to proclaim judgment to the Ninevites because of their wickedness is because Jonah knew that God has a heart for the lost, that God is patient and long-suffering. Let me read it to you in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry So he prayed to the Lord and said, and this is when the Lord relented from bringing judgment. Ah, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I previously fled to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to live than to die. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? The Lord calls out Jonah as he shares his heart for the lost and says, why is it that you are angry with me when I have compassion for the lost, when I'm a God of patience and long-suffering? And then in verse 11, which concludes the book and leaves us in a place of tension to consider our response, it says, and should I not have pity on Nineveh? the great city in which more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock. This morning, we are invited to consider God's heart for the lost and God's is greed for the lost. And we're reminded that God desires that all come to faith and all not perish, but come to repentance. To come to repentance means to change your direction is to change your mind that leads to a changed life. And what it's telling us is we are invited to turn from our sin, to turn from depending on ourselves to get us into heaven or to provide us good deeds and to turn to Christ and him crucified and receive salvation, forgiveness of sins. Joel chapter 2 verse 13 continues to capture the heart of God for the lost. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and uh, and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Why hasn't the Lord Jesus come back yet? Why does it seem as if he has delayed his second coming and therefore the end times has come because of his patience and God desires that as many people go to heaven as possible. That's God's heart for the lost. Ezekiel 18.32 says, For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. Why does God proclaim judgment and not send it? Because he makes way for his mercy. And this is a reminder for anyone who is still in their sin. The invitation is to see that the judgment of God is coming. But while he waits patiently, it's your opportunity to repent to change your mind and change your direction, receive forgiveness of sins and get off the path that leads to destruction and eternal death that leads to life and eternal life at that. 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 4 says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Romans 2, verse 4 says, Are you, do you despise the riches of his goodness? forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Luke 2, 5, 31 to 32 says, Jesus answered them and said to them, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And then in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, we're reminded this concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. 
This morning, how do we prepare for the day of the Lord by forgetting not God's perspective on time, that God sees time differently than you and I do, and secondly, by forgetting not God's heart for the lost. If I could add some application for us this morning, the first would be this. How do we, how do we see time from God's perspective? How do we seek time for God's perspective? First, I'd invite us to honor God who is from eternity. We are invited to worship and to come before our God in prayer by means of beholding him as a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, and who is indeed eternal. This morning, I want to invite you to behold your God who is outside of time, who is not like us, who are fragile and frail, whose lives are here for a moment like the grass of the fields and then, di- and then quickly disappears. Our God is from forever past and will be forevermore into the future. It reminds me of what, Jesus, what we hear about Jesus in Revelation 1, 7 to 8. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who was and is and who is to come, the Almighty. This morning, we're invited to honor God who is from eternity. Secondly, as we honor God who is from eternity and stand back and behold his greatness and who he is. He has no beginning, he has no end, that we would also take time to admit our frailty and our fragility. In Hebrews 9.27, we're reminded that as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this judgment. This morning, I want to remind us, when we come before God in prayer, and when we come before God in worship, and we say, God, You are the creator of heaven and earth and everything in it. You are the eternal God, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. It begins to put us in proper perspective in relationship to him. We live in a world that when it comes to our difficulties, our struggles, we often uh, turn to ourselves. The idea is that, you know, we need to talk about self-esteem and it's all about esteeming ourselves and making ourselves feel good. But the reality is it doesn't begin with us. It begins with God. And if you have a proper perspective of God who is the creator of heaven and earth, who is eternal, you recognize who you are in relationship to him and that the fact that you are at his mercy and you receive value, not in and of yourself, but you receive value from the one who loved you enough to send Jesus to die on your behalf in order that you might have everlasting life. If you want to know how valuable you are, consider what someone is willing to pay. And what God the Father paid is by offering his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you and for me. This morning we're invited to behold our God who is from eternity and to recognize and admit our frailty and fragility. And that will give us a proper perspective of time. Not only are we invited to have a proper perspective of time, but we're also invited to see God's heart for the lost. This morning, I'd like to invite us to thank God for his patience. To thank God that while he is not lagging, he is long-suffering. And the reason that you and I in the past five years, 10 years, 50 years, maybe even 80 years or 90 years, whenever you trusted in Christ, the reason you had an opportunity to trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord is because of his patience. This morning, we had four baptisms. Some of those who were baptized today accepted Christ within the past few years, but others accepted Christ in the past few months and others in the past six months. Thank God for his long suffering and for his patience. And this is a reminder for us today to recognize the urgency that while God is patient and long-suffering, in the next verse we're going to see that the day of the Lord is coming and one day his patience will no longer be there. It will run out and the day of the Lord will come and then it will be too late. This morning, the time to prepare for the day of the Lord is not when it happens, the time to prepare for the day of the Lord and get right with God and receive the forgiveness of sins is now. It's not tomorrow. This morning, we're invited to thank 
God for his patience. This morning, I'd like us to, to consider why we don't always are as appreciative of his patience as we need to be. And it's because we lack this, the urgency of the coming of Christ. We're reminded in scripture that while no one knows when Jesus will come, his coming will be imminent. And imminent means that Jesus could come back at any moment. And so we should thank God for his patience, but also recognize the urgency to share with others the truth of who he is with as many who will listen as God works in their hearts and they trust in Jesus as their Savior and as their Lord. I can think back to trying to catch an airplane one time back in March with our family and being thankful for the patience of the airline. I was heading with our family from the Burbank Airport to the Eugene Airport. And if you've ever been to the Burbank Airport, it's a smaller airport, just like Eugene. Eugene seems even a bit smaller than that. But we had gotten to the airport a little bit later because we weren't paying attention to time. And it was within an hour of our flight. But if you have children, especially three under five, you carry a lot of luggage with you. And so as we parked our rental van, we began to unload it. And what we had in our rental van that we took with us were two strollers, a double and a single. And we had all the car seats, so we started to pile them on. And then I was pushing the two strollers and the piled car seats, trying to maneuver them with the two kids running behind me. And my wife was holding one of our children and trying to drag the bags behind her. We finally got to the airport, and it was an hour within our flight, and when we got to the front desk, the lady, she wasn't in the best mood. She told us, I'll go ahead and put your luggage in, but I can't guarantee you guys are going to make your flight. And so we began to unpack our things, and we gave her our car seats and our double strollers, and then we put, you know, our, our bags that we're supposed to put underneath, and we, 54 pounds or something like that. (laughs) So, taking a deep breath, Lord, grant me patience. Open that thing up, pull some luggage out, and then put it in our carry-ons. And as we're making it past security, through security, we hear this is the last call for boarding. And they called us by name. If you're here, now is the time to board. And can I tell you, I was grateful for their patience. How much more should we be grateful for the patience and long-suffering of our God? who in his patience is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This morning, I want to invite you to make sure you got your ticket. And if you don't, that ticket is Jesus. Put your faith in him. Trust in him as your Savior and your Lord. Thank God for his patience. Secondly, don't take his patience for granted. Repent and trust in Jesus. And lastly, ask God to break your heart for what breaks his This morning, we're invited to consider the heart of God for the lost and ask ourselves, why is my heart not grieved like God's? Leon's Crump once said, God in his infinite wisdom has chosen the proclamation of the gospel through frail and fragile people to be the means by which people come to him. This morning, I want to ask you, how is your heart grieved or burdened for the prodigal in your life? Perhaps there is a a child or a a family member or someone that you have been able to disciple or encourage them in the things of the Lord, but somewhere along the line they departed and they're walking in sin today. They're not walking in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ and perhaps they're not bearing the fruit of a genuine follower of the Lord Jesus. We're reminded that children can be the greatest blessing, but when they stray and when they go through hard times and difficulties how many of you know our heart can be most burdened by our children because of our desire for them to follow the lord and to follow it walk in obedience um, to him for their lives and so this morning i want to ask you who are the prodigals on your heart and mind continue to pray for them continue to thank god for his patience and his long suffering with them and ask god to draw them back to himself morning, I want to ask you, are your, is your heart grieved for the missions that we get to support here in our church, locally and globally? Uh, this month, our missionary of the month, month is Steve Van Horn. He works with Item Ministries, and um, he comes along pastors throughout Africa and equips them to preach and teach the Word of God. 
Is our heart grieved for Africa? Is our heart grieved for the ministry there that we pray for them and have a desire to hear updates about them? Last month, we had our missionary of the month being Child Evangelism Fellowship, and last week we were together. Doug Morse came and gave us some updates about the work that God is doing in our schools through these good news clubs. Is our heart grieved for the lost as God works in and through these ministries? Is our heart grieved for our neighbors when we consider those around us in our, the apartments or perhaps your neighbors in your own neighborhood? Is your heart grieved for your coworkers, acquaintances, family members, or friends who don't know Jesus? Is our heart grieved for the lost? What we are invited to do this morning is to ask God to break our heart for what breaks his And so how do we prepare for the coming day of the Lord? By seeing time from his perspective, by means of understanding his heart for the lost, and then thirdly, as we continue to read, by forgetting not his plan for the future. Verse 10 gives us the answer to what does the future hold concerning the day of the Lord. We've already answered, why hasn't the day of the Lord come? That's the first answer he wants to give us. Secondly, we get to see what does the future hold concerning the day of the Lord. Verse 10 reads this way, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. What are we talking about when we're talking about the day of the Lord? We're talking, of course, about the coming of Christ. But when you read the Old Testament prophecies concerning it, it really focuses on the judgment of God that's going to come. And so we're reminded that the, ju- that the day of the Lord will not just bring salvation to his people, but will bring judgment upon those who have not trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And so this day of the Lord, how is it described? It's described as that which will come, how? As a thief in the night. An interesting way for it to be described. If you've ever had a thief come and steal, either they broke into your car or broke into your house or stole something, you know they never tell you ahead of time. They don't let you know tonight at 2 a.m. in the morning, I'm going to come over and I'm going to steal your things. No, they come suddenly and they come unexpectedly. I had a brother who in college had a bike. And one day he parked his bike and put a, uh, a real good lock on it. Bought a good, good, got, bought a good lock, had a good bike. And one day they came and they stole one of his tires. Well, he left it there overnight because he thought to himself, how am I going to take this thing home? The next day he came back, they stole the other tire. (laughs) He should have probably took the bike there, but he came back the next day, and then they took the rest of it, and they took the whole thing. And so when they stole that, they came suddenly, they came unexpectedly, they didn't tell him ahead of time. What we're told about the day of the Lord is the Lord will come back. To judge the world unexpectedly, he will come back suddenly, and you will not have enough time to prepare. You know when you have hurricanes that happen, or even fires that occur, sometimes there is enough time for people to be warned to say, get out, carry your stuff, and and find safety. But when the day of the Lord comes, it will already be too late. The day of the Lord will come suddenly, it will come unexpectedly. Thirdly, it will come with disastrous events that accompany it. It says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. What we're reminded here is that while some people declare there was a big bang at the beginning, we're going to see a big bang at the end. (laughs) It says, the heavens will pass away with a great noise. And the elements, the elements here refer to the basic building blocks of earth. Um, uh, The basic elements will melt with fervent heat. We were reminded last week in light of verses 1 through 7 that um, the Lord brought judgment in the days of Noah by means of a flood, but he promised to never bring judgment by a flood again. That's why we have the rainbow. He promises to bring judgment in the future by fire. And the text tells us how disastrous the day of the Lord will be. It will melt with fervent heat. And it says here, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned. This is quite disastrous. 
The word burn there could literally mean burn, but also it could also refer to being laid bare. And so the question is presented sometimes, are we talking about as the old heavens and earth pass away, are they going to be renovated? Are they going to be purified? When we take a look at the new heavens and the new earth, I'd like to suggest in light of our text, it, it, it leaves room for interpretation. But what we need to know here is that the day of the Lord will be disastrous. And because it will be disastrous, we need to be ready and we need to be prepared when it comes. Swindoll says this about it. The images all refer to the familiar sounds and sensations that come with a disastrous fire. You know, we can identify that with that here in Oregon when you think about a, a, a fire coming through a forest. As a forest fire builds from mere cracklings to an uncontrollable ocean of flames, it sounds like a violent wind roaring through the trees. But instead of stripping off leaves and branches or felling several trees, forest fires leave behind a charred, barren wasteland devoid of life. With this familiar analogy, Peter pictures the obliteration of the present world. The question then presents itself in verse 10. When does this take place? When you take a look at Revelation 20 and 21... When you take a look at scriptures like Isaiah 65, when is this day of the Lord coming in which the, the old earth and heavens will pass away and fire will be brought down with judgment and the, and the new heavens and the new earth will come? I'd like to suggest this morning in light of this text and we take a look at it in the rest of scripture, Peter is not interested in giving us a detailed chronology here, but he is interested in inviting us to focus on getting right with the Lord and getting prepared with him. And so the question is, when does this take place? I'd like to suggest in light of, as I said earlier, Isaiah 65 and Revelation 20, that this day of the Lord comes after the rapture. The next event on the prophetic calendar is the rapture. After the rapture, you have the seven-year tribulation in which God will pour out his wrath upon the earth. Following that, you will have the day of the Lord when the Lord comes and sets up his kingdom on earth, which is referred to as the millennial kingdom. And the devil will have a short time for rebellion on the earth. And then after that, we're going to see the, the, that fire come down. And if I could read that to you, Revelation um, chapter 20, verse 9, I'd like to suggest it takes place there. And you can dig into it yourself later. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And then as you go into the next chapter, of course, you have the new heavens and the new earth. Now I'm gonna go into verse 11 for just a moment just to highlight what it continues to tell about verse 10. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for the hastening and the coming day of the Lord because which the heavens will be dissolved being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Verse 13, nevertheless, we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. How are we invited to prepare for the day of the Lord by understanding the details that surround it? The day of the Lord will be sudden. It will be unexpected and it will be disastrous. We aren't given all of the answers perhaps to our questions, but we have enough answers that will motivate us to get right with God and to pursue godliness, and to pursue holiness. The promise is Jesus is coming back again. You know, when you study prophecy, the reason we study it is not for the sake of speculation. Like, this is not what Peter thought. Okay, I think this is what's going to happen, and so I want to share it with you. When we're talking about prophecy, we're not necessarily talking about what this person says or that person says. The purpose of prophecy is not speculation or even more information, but motivation that we would take what we know and live in light of the coming of Jesus Christ. That we would be ready and prepared for him to come back and that we would share this with as many people as possible. There are some things that we can know very clearly, other things not so much, but what we need to know, God has revealed clearly in his word. And what we're invited to do is get ready and to get prepared. 
And the way that we prepare for the day of the Lord is forgetting not God's plan for the future when the day of the Lord comes. I'd like to invite us this morning in light of that to apply it in just a few ways. The first is this, behold the God of judgment and wrath. This morning, when you take a look at Jesus, we're reminded that when he came the first time, As I said it before and I'll say it again, he came as a suffering servant, as the savior of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believe in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. But Jesus is coming back again as a conquering king, not as the savior of the world, but as the judge of the world. And we are invited to behold our God. Jesus is coming back with a sword. He's going to right every wrong. And so we better be found among the redeemed instead of among the unrighteous. We're reminded all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but we are invited to behold our God, a God of wrath, a God of judgment, a God of divine justice. Aren't you grateful when you take a look at the wickedness going on in our culture and the evil going on in the world that God's patience will one day run out and according to his sovereign plan, he will come to judge the quick and the dead. He is going to right every wrong. The heavens and the earth will pass away and God will bring forth a new heavens and a new earth. We are invited to behold our God, a God of wrath. And a God of judgment. Unfortunately, too many of us find ourselves, myself included, walking in with a, even into church or into time in the word with a flawed perception of God. Too many times we, we, we come in prayer or we come to worship in the gathering of God's people with a flawed perception, believing or thinking that God is as tolerant of our sin as we are. But we're reminded that God is not tolerant of sin. God is holy, God is righteous, and God is pure. And the evil and wickedness in the world finds its cause and root in each of our hearts. And we are to stand back in awe of wonder, not just inviting the God of judgment and wrath to right every wrong in the world, but change our hearts. Give us a new heart as we turn from our sin and turn to the cross and receive forgiveness, and he provides us the Holy Spirit to live for him and glorify him alone. Behold, our God is a God of judgment and wrath. Secondly, be found among the redeemed who will be preserved, not among the righteous who will be punished. That's the invitation. And then thirdly, we are invited to invest in the eternal, not the temporal. It tells us here that the earth and the works therein are going to be burned. You know, these... Sky rises, you know, these big buildings, you know, your beautiful car that you've invested in so much time and your, your home and all the things that you invest in, those things will be burned. You know, sometimes we get a little upset when our car gets nicked or something happens to our possessions on earth. Listen, they're going to be burned. What do you do in spending all your time investing in the temporal What we're reminded is the material things of the world will all pass away, but the eternal things of God will be forever. What are those eternal things? God. Invest your time, your effort, your resources in your relationship with God. You know, when we're talking about prophecy, what we're invited to do is get to know God. Get to know him. He's eternal. He's long-suffering and he's patient. He's a God of mercy and love. He desires that that, that none perish, but all come to faith and trust him as, as their Savior and their Lord. We're invited to get to know Jesus. And as we do, we want to invest in that relation and invest in those eternal things. God, his word, and you know what else is eternal people? You know, heaven and earth will pass away. This will not be here forever. But God created us to be eternal beings. You will spend eternity in one of two places, you will either spend eternity with God and his people forever in heaven because you've received Christ into your life and trusted in him as your Savior and Lord for the forgiveness of sins. Or you will spend eternity without God and his people in a place reserved for the unrighteous in a place called hell. This morning, it's not too late. We're invited to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. So prepare for the day of the Lord by forgetting not God's plan for the future. Then lastly, forget not God's will for your life. 
The purpose of this message and my prayer, your takeaway, is not just speculation or information, but motivation. May you be motivated to pursue holiness and godliness in light of the promised coming day of the Lord. The text finishes up in verse 11 and says, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, since heaven and earth will be no more, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? This morning, in light of the return of Christ, we are invited to pursue holiness. Holiness simply means to be different, to be distinct. We are invited in Scripture to be holy as God is holy. What does it mean for God to be holy? It means that He's separate, He's distinct. To be holy like God is holy is to not be conformed into the thinking of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, as Romans 12 tells us, that we would not think like the world, but that we would be informed by the truth of God in his word. We're reminded and invited to say like the the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we also pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done in my mind as it is in heaven, in my heart as it is in heaven, in my marriage as it is in heaven, in my family as it is in heaven. God, allow me, my family, the decisions I make not to be conformed by the thinking of this world, but may I be set apart to you and you in your will for my life. So we're called to be holy. Secondly, we're called to pursue godliness. To pursue godliness means to... Look more like Jesus every day to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy should be more evident in your life. Peace and patience should be something those closest to you see more and more. Kindness and goodness, gentleness and self-control. As you continue to grow in your walk with the Lord, you continue to see the fruit that comes from it. Verse 12, so not only should we pursue holiness and godliness, but great anticipation. I want to invite us as a church to live in light of the return of Jesus. It says here, looking for and hastening the coming day of God. In other words, we should eagerly anticipate the fact that God is coming back again. The day of the Lord will cause fear in some who haven't trusted in, them, in him as their Savior and Lord, but it will be, bring joy and blessing for those who know who God is and know that we will be found in Christ, clothed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne, because of which the heavens will be dissolved. Isn't it interesting to note it says, looking for and hastening the coming day of the Lord. It kind of sounds like we can, we can hasten the day of the Lord and make it come sooner. How is that possible if God is sovereign over history and the events therein? Well, God in his sovereignty invites us in to share the good news of the gospel with as many people as possible. When our heart is grieved in the same way that God's heart is grieved for the lost, and we begin to share our faith, and God allows the work of his word and spirit to move their hearts and to trust in him as their savior. And Lord, as more and more people come to faith, it hastens the day of the Lord, and God invites us to join in as the day of the Lord draws near. So this morning, we are invited to hasten the day of the Lord by sharing the good news with as many people as possible. Verse 13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This morning, we take a look at our world, we take a look at our culture, we take a look at our society, and there is wickedness and evil all around us. Thanks be to God that he's coming back to judge the world And he's going to burn all of the wickedness and the evil. And the new heaven and new earth will be forever. And there will will righteousness dwell. Aren't you grateful this morning that we serve a God who is not just gracious and merciful, but just and holy. And he is going to right every wrong and bring an end to the evil that's going on in the world. Let me close with this this morning. I pray that as we consider the events of the day of the Lord and answered those questions, why hasn't the day of the Lord come? And what does the future hold concerning the day of the Lord? And what difference should the coming day of the Lord make in my heart, in my life, every single day 
that we would be reminded the reason why we will not be judged on the last day if we've trusted in Christ as our Savior and Lord is because the fire of God's wrath has already been poured out on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Uh, I remember a story that's told of cowboys who were in the middle of a prairie fire. And as the prairie fire was raging all around them, one of the cowboys said, what we need to do is we need to burn around us the grass. One of the guys said, that's ludicrous. Why would you do that? And he said, no, we're going to do that because the fire cannot come and cannot burn where it's already come. This morning, what we're reminded as followers of Jesus who've trusted in Jesus as our Savior and Lord, the reason why the, 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 the fire of God's judgment cannot come and cannot burn us and we will not spend an eternity without God and his people forever is because Jesus took upon the wrath of God on himself. This is the good news of the gospel. God is holy, he is righteous, he is just, and in his mercy, he doesn't give you and I what we deserve. What we deserve is death, an eternity without God and his people forever, but he poured out his wrath upon the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. The invitation this morning is to build your life on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. We're gonna sing it in a moment. Let me read you the words. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Verse four, when he shall come with trumpet sound, Oh, may I then in him be found, clothed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Can we pray? Father, we are grateful for Christ and him crucified. We come before you knowing that God, we are frail and we are fragile. Our lives are short-lived. Yet, Father, when we take a look at who our God is, we behold a God who is eternal, who has a heart for the lost, who is long-suffering and patient. And, Father, we are grateful to you. Father, we thank you that Jesus is coming back again, that the day of the Lord will come in judgment when you will right every wrong. And we pray, Father, that we can live in light of that day I pray over each of our hearts that as we enter into this week or finish up this day, we would be motivated in a greater way to love you, to serve you, to not allow our thinking to be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Father, I pray for anyone here today who perhaps has never trusted in Jesus, has never confessed their need for him or given their life to him, but want to in this moment. I pray that I can lead them in this prayer. Father, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I've missed the mark. I've fallen short. I know that sin is what separates me from you, a holy God. But I also know that God, loved, that God, you loved me so much that you sent Jesus into this world to die on a cross and to take my place and to bear the punishment for my sin. Today, I make Jesus my Savior and my Lord the one I'm going to follow all the days of my life into eternity. Father, we're grateful for your word. We pray that they it would be an encouragement to us throughout this week. We pray it in Jesus' name.